Did you know VIP season ticket subscribers have access to this workshop and hundreds more in streaming video, MP3 download, audio CD, executive white paper summary, and podcast formats? Visit vip.dealersedge.com for more information.
but it's a state taxable dollar for dollar. The life, the, the IRS considers the value of the life insurance policy an asset to the deceased. Yep. Uh, in setting up the trusts, how yes. long does it take normally to set up a, a trust? Well, uh, again, it goes back to the, the question that was raised just about 30 minutes ago in regards to the timing and, and the length. It's important for any, uh, any attorney to understand specifically what you're trying to accomplish. Attorneys, once they have a design of a plan, um, can get a trust together in a matter of weeks. Uh, but it's understanding um, what the, the dealer and spouse's uh, goals and what they're trying to accomplish to make sure that trust addresses uh, what everyone's trying to accomplish. The, the, the one thing that I, I do want to stress, when it comes to implementing legal documents, whether it's estate planning documents or buy-sell agreements, corporate documentation, anything like that, the legal documents generally should be the last thing that you that you sign because the, the bulk of the work is putting the, the plan design together. The legal documents should be the, the end of the process when it all when you put pen to paper. Okay. Um, if you are moving assets uh, into a trust, and, and in this case it looks like a variety of trusts, do those assets, then, does ownership have to be retitled? That is, if, if I personally own dealership stock and move it into a, uh, an irrevocable trust, does, it, does, it, does the, the name on the stock have to be changed to the to the trust? Yes. Um, so if you're dealing with dealership stock, you would have to, basically two steps would be required. You'd have to reissue stock certificates in the name of the irrevocable trust. You'd also need to make a note in your corporate minutes reflecting that that change was made. Um, if you are... Uh, a simple example is we talked about insurance in a trust. If you already have an irrevocable trust in place and the, and you're implementing a, an insurance policy, you wouldn't need to change ownership. You would just have the trust apply for the policy itself. If you're transferring real estate into an irrevocable trust, you would have to have a deed prepared. And if there are, uh, let's say, mortgages or security interests in, in the dealership assets, including real estate, do those lenders uh, or whoever has the security interest, do they have to sign off on the transfer? That's a fantastic question. Um, in some cases, uh, they do uh, because the lenders nowadays, especially after the, the market downturn and the real estate crisis of 08, uh, are very concerned in uh, ownership changes. Um, so uh, that, that's, that's something that always should be considered. Um, in, in most cases, in, I won't say most cases. In, in many cases, uh, lenders, albeit banks, um, most of them don't have a major issue. If the well, with the, correct with the revocable trust, it, it's usually never an issue because you're not removing assets from your your taxable state. You still have complete control over the asset. If you're transferring an asset that has a mortgage, let's say, into an irrevocable trust, in many cases, if banks understand that it's for estate planning purposes. Um, usually it's not a problem, but you you certainly do want to make sure you've explored that. Okay. And, uh, and if, uh, go back to a, a topic that you mentioned earlier in the program, uh, and this, this is the idea of uh, not, not giving dealership stock to... Uh, to, to relatives or uh, family members who are, unless they are active in the business. Um, and the, so the question is, it, yeah, well, it's too late. Uh, 
I've already given I've already given stock to some of my children, and they're not active in the business. Do I have to try to get that back from them? Uh, <laughs> uh, how, how do I explain to them what? Do, do I buy it back from them? Uh, and how do I explain what I'm doing? Yeah, very, very good question. Yeah, it's, 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 I'm sorry. Go ahead. So they're trying to preserve family peace. Uh, and, you know, they don't want to have this come up every Thanksgiving or Christmas, uh, or have lawsuits over it. Uh, how do you explain that to the fallen siblings? Yeah, again, another great question. And, and no, you, you certainly don't need to rush to your attorney and say, "Oh boy, we got, we got to change things up here." What we always and it's a general rule that we adhere to. We, we generally don't like to see inactive children with, again, this is only interest in the dealership, not real estate, not other assets, just the dealership. But if you have, if you have executed a gifting, uh, program or any type of transfer program where you have inactive children with stock ownership, what we would always strongly recommend in that situation is you have a buy-sell agreement implemented so that at some triggering event, the active children would be required to buy the inactive child's stock. Um, so that in that case, you ultimately have the stock lying with the active children, but the inactive child will receive a benefit of his or her ownership in the stock because it will be purchased from them. So the reason being, and what we most commonly see is a simple example. If you have three children and you have one child that's active and two children that aren't, and the dealership is passed to those three children. Well, now you have an active child that only has one-third of the stock, which means the two inactive children could outvote the active child. That's problem number one. Problem number two is when you move down to the next generation, well, unless the active child has ten kids and the two inactive children only have one each, now you've introduced even more children that potentially could be inactive, and that's where you ultimately end up with probably way too many shareholders and a lot of inactive shareholders that would then be in a position to outvote the people that are making the decisions. Excuse me, outvote the people that are actively involved in the dealership. Um, all right. Let's see here. Okay, and uh, if we're if we're transferring the, the dealership uh, ownership of the dealership to a trust, does the manufacturer have to sign off on that and approve the transfer? Yes. So this is becoming more and more of an issue. Um, five, 10, 15 years ago, it was basically Honda and Toyota were the sticklers on this stuff. Um, all of them are starting to really get in line with this and implement um, a lot of hardline um, rules and regs as to, to what needs to be done. We've got some uh, OEMs that require, let's say, 25, 15 to 20% to 25% ownership to be approved as a, a successor. Um, the the one there's no there's no hardline correct answer on this because every OEM is different. But what I what we try and preach as much as we can is transparency with your OEMs. We know how difficult they are, and they're becoming more difficult every day. But the problem with succession planning is your 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 manufacturer is really the one entity that can look at you in the eye and say no, we're not going to approve that. So transparency, uh, making sure they're aware of your plan. Uh, making sure that if you have identified successors, they've been approved. The primary goal here with your succession plan and your manufacturers is don't make it easy for them to say no. All right. Uh, I don't have any other questions here on my list. John, did you get any? No, I'm clear. Okay. Well, good. And that brings us to the end of today's workshop. Uh, you've got contact information for Don and Chris in front of you. And if you think of questions uh, that you'd like to ask, uh, give them a call or send them an email. 
uh, they'd be happy to talk to you. Um, also, uh, we did record today's workshop, and you will get information uh, sometime tomorrow about how to access the recording when it's available uh, in your dealer's edge library. Uh, there's a lot of good information in today's workshop, and and uh, and and specifically, really, it's it's a it'll raise a lot of issues, questions that, that you probably need to bring up with whoever handles your dealership estate planning or your personal estate planning, uh, and uh, and accountants and, and attorneys uh, to make sure that they're up to date uh, on on your plans and that. Uh, if you saw something here that looks like it makes a lot of sense for you in your, your situation, uh, get them working on it right away. Uh, so with that, I want to thank everybody for joining us today. Uh, as you say, it's not easy to take an hour out of your dealership day, and we appreciate you spending it with us. And I'd especially like to thank Don Hannes and Chris Dino, uh from the Planning Solutions Group uh, for putting today's workshop together. Uh, and for taking the time to share their expertise and experience with us. Thank you very much, fellas. Appreciate um, it. Thank you for having us. All right. And with that, we'll be signing off and hope you can join us again next week. Did you know VIP season ticket subscribers have access to this workshop and hundreds more in streaming video, MP3 download, audio CD, executive white paper summary, and podcast formats? Visit VIP.dealersedge.com for more information.